Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. I want to tell you about a friend I had. Maybe you had a friend like this sometime. My friend is a Seahawk fan, sorry. And I'm not sure 49er fans are the same kind of fanatics, but there you go. Strike one against me, huh? Okay, sorry, no more. So this fan, he loved, he was a, truly a fanatic kind of fan. That's where fan comes from, right? And he loved the Seahawks. He was all about the Seahawks. When the Seahawks were playing, you just couldn't talk. You couldn't be doing anything but watching the Seahawks. And when he was, uh, uh, was able to go to the game, he'd go to the game. He didn't matter about work and whatever. And when they lost, he was a crumb. He was crummy to be around. And his whole family was upset. And was like, oh, see, oh, how's he doing? Okay, there's therapy for that kind of thing. And he was so into the Seahawks, and still is, that his identity was shaped by what he loved. I think that's the way we are as people. We are shaped by what we loved. And thank God we can be shaped by who loves us. We want to talk today about this beautiful song that Mary sings. And there's a lot of, a lot of things that happen around that time for her. But she is a remarkable person to help paint a, a picture of the love of God. We want to to today kind of look at that passage and kind of see how that picture will be for us this Advent season. As we start, I would like to just open in prayer. Join me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the love that was expressed through Jesus being born a baby, identifying with us, being Emmanuel, God with us, literally, and all that, that you have done in that. Lord, so this Advent season, we wait. We wait in love. Father in heaven, we ask that as we look at these words you inspired through Mary, that we would understand your love better. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was a little awkward. That pause in waiting for me to finish my prayer, right? No, 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 I'm a super spiritual person. I knew what was going on. I didn't peek an eye and look at the old guy up front. He is getting a little bit older. Maybe the oars are not in the water, you know? It's a little awkward to wait, isn't it? It kind of throws you off. You don't know what to anticipate. Well, that's what we're talking about in Advent. It's about waiting, it's about anticipating. When things are, are, you're waiting for things, you're anticipating things. 
We're waiting for Christmas Eve. Get to light the candle. People love that. I love that. Sing carols. Get to have uh, the celebration. We're waiting for Christmas. We're waiting for tomorrow morning to see if we got that gift or whatever. Waiting, watching your kids and enjoying your grandkids potentially or whatever it might be. We're waiting. And that is a theme of Advent. Today, we're going to be talking about waiting in love. A picture of the love of God. It starts with long before there's a number of two big uh, events that happen before Mary sings her song. The first one we're pretty familiar with has to do with Gabriel visiting a young virgin in a little corner of the world called Nazareth, in a little area of the world called Galilee, in a little conquered country called Israel, on nobody from nowhere. So this angel shows up to this young girl, probably a young, if not just a teenager, and, and greets her by saying, greetings, favored one. And, and Mary's kind of thinking, what, what, what that's about? And the angel goes on to say, Gabriel goes on to say, don't be afraid, for you have found favor in God's eyes, and the Lord is with you. That favor is that grace has been given to her, that is from God to her. There's favor. He goes on to say, you will conceive and bear a child and you will call his name Jesus because he's going to save his, his people from their sins and he will be great and he will live on the throne of David forever. And, and the Mary, Mary wants to circle back a little bit, kind of confirm some information, Right? It's kind of like the uh, teenage boy talking to his father on Saturday morning. And dad says, hey, son, what you do last night? Oh, hey, I went over to Bobby's house. Uh, we went to a movie, got pizza. I got a speeding ticket. I, we went back to Bobby's house, played some video games, had some... Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What? Well, we had snacks and... No, no, before that. Well, we went to a movie and had pizza. No, no. The important part you tried to skip over. In a little more serious way, Mary wants to confirm, uh, okay, uh, wow, all these wonderful things, once in a forever things. But how is this going to happen since I am a virgin? You see, she knew it was going to happen in a supernatural way somehow, that by, uh, not by being married and having a child like Elizabeth is, which was also miraculous. And Gabriel gives the, the deep understanding that the Holy Spirit will come over you and overshadow you, and the child's uh, conception will be a miracle. He will be called holy and the Son of God. And Mary says an amazing thing. But think about it. 
Like in the video, think about what implications it means for a young, unmarried, first century Jewish woman to have a baby growing in her while not yet married. Brother Tim gave a little bit of of the big problem from Joseph's perspective. But there could be a boatload of problems. And she says an amazing thing. Overwhelmed by this visit of the angel, she says something that is remarkable. It's in verse 38 of Luke 1, before our passage we're going to look at in a minute. He says, And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your world and word. And the angel departed. She says, I am your servant. It literally means I am your slave. She is potentially overwhelmed. She has all these potentially negative consequences, and she loves the Lord enough to say, I'm your servant, I'm ready, I believe you, and I will walk in what you have me to do. Mary is a picture of love and humble obedience. I know That the reason she stepped into this in humble obedience is because she loves the Lord her God. And I know that because Jesus and the New Testament teaches that. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 2 John 1, 6 says this, This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Love and obedience to God are tied. She didn't do this out of of this some kind of weird sense of being a slave. I have to do this. An angel showed up. No, no, no. She did it out of that loving obedience that's expressed by doing what is commanded. We know this also also because of this beautiful song that she sings. Her song is an expression of her love and teaches us all about the love of God. In a sense, her song is a picture of love in praise. I wanted to spend a few minutes more talking about this song, but the context would be helpful. Just like when uh, Mary was visited by Gabriel 
She has this beautiful declaration of love in obedience. She immediately gets up after that and heads up maybe 50, 70 miles from her town to where Elizabeth lives, the mother of, soon to be mother of John the Baptist. She has an experience right before she, she sings out this, declares this song of praise. That's an important thing. We're not going to read it. I would challenge you to go back and read this whole chapter. It is phenomenal what God teaches us about love and what he does in the world. So Elizabeth is greeted by Mary and she walks in and the baby jumps in her womb and she uh, is filled with the Holy Spirit and Elizabeth begins to prophesy over Mary, shouts, it says, that she is the uh, honor, Elizabeth is honored to be visited by Mary who's the mother of the Savior of the world. Who she's uh, 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 blessed because she believes in this prophecy that the, the Christ child is going to be born in and through her. And Mary just imagined, okay? She just had this experience with this angel. She says, I am serving the Lord. Travels, however long that takes, and she walks in the door, and her relative, Elizabeth, prophesies over her these great things. And then she almost falls over. Uh, <laughs> then she exclaims this song. She speaks out this song. It isn't like a shouting, overwhelming thing. It is a thing that, that, that she calmly starts to begin stating the truth about the love of God for her and the love of God in general. So this song starts like this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, expands the Lord in her mind to worship him. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's an overwhelming rejoicing. For he had looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary understands that God loves her because of the favor and grace that he has given to her. And he, she looks back to God and prays and said, you have seen me. You have loved me. You have given me phenomenal grace. To be the one through whom the Savior of the world will be born. Pastor Logan likes to talk about hyperlinks. That something in this passage ties back to another passage. This song of Mary is very similar to the song of Hannah. Hannah was a woman who was, was barren and did not have a child in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, he talks about her as a woman who is forlorn. She's crying out to the Lord because uh, she is not having a child. And even though her husband loves her, the, the other wife, which is not a good idea, is having lots of children and she feels horrible. And one day she's crying out. And the Lord gives her 
a miraculous blessing of a child who will become the prophet and judge Samuel. But in response, Hannah preaches and sings a song that has the themes that are very close to what Mary sings. That you have seen me. You're a God who sees those who are in trouble. A God who, who knows the deep and the dark pain. You're the God who enters in to not just see and observe, but see and act in people's lives who are lowly, without resources, no place to go, and desperate for help. Mary cries out, you have seen my place. This place of utter despair. A place of being poor. A nobody from nowhere is now blessed. And Mary ex ex expresses that in praise. She goes on. He says, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Continues her praise, but says something that might be considered outside the circumstances relatively arrogant. Well, everybody from all time is going to remember me. But isn't that true? Almost everybody in the United States, if you said the Virgin Mary, they would know who you're talking about. Almost anybody around the world, if you said Mary, the mother of Jesus, they would know who you're talking about. It is true. And she proclaims that to let everybody know that she knows who she is. We talked about somebody loving a sports team. But Mary was defined by who loved her. That she realized that she is blessed of God. She has the grace of God. She has the favor of God right here and now for her. Even in the midst of all the challenging things that are happening to her, she knows and receives and has identified. In fact, she has the identity of the beloved of God. right here and now in her life. She goes on to say something, not just about her, but a broader scope. Verse 50, she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She expands it out to all people, anybody from any generation who loves and fears the Lord is Mercy, God's mercy is on them. 
Not only did Mary understand that for here and now for her, right in her life, God had an overwhelming, powerful, effective love in her life. She knew that it was through faith in God that all generations, and soon to be faith in her son, that people from all generations would receive the mercy of God. Now in this song, there's a little bit of a controversy in the next few verses. There are six statements that are made about how God acts in power and overturns the the fortunes of the world. The lowly he raises up and the powerful he takes down. And the controversy is in the Greek, not in the English, because it's difficult to discern in the English. And in the Greek, there's a, a verb tense called the aorist. We oftentimes render it in English as past tense. Uh, Greek is a little more complicated, but there is a, a, a sense that these statements are stated as if they have already happened. They may still be going on, but they have already happened. Okay, that presents a little bit of a problem because she's saying it now as if it's done. The controversy is, well, what does she mean? One of the explanations might be, well, she's thinking about the Old Testament. Well, did God overturn things in the Old Testament? Yeah. Another interpretation is that, well, she's saying these things because all of those things of turning over the world has been done in her own life. Yeah, that's definitely true. A lowly person is raised to the highest status of any woman, right? But what makes, I think, the most sense is the third option. There's a thing called the prophetic errors, meaning that that prophets will use uh, the past tense, the things that are already done, uh, though they still are in the future, but they will say them because with God's actions, things are so certain to be done, you might as well say they are done. And I think that's important to know because as she talks about this generation to generation, those who fear God, God will pour out his love and mercy upon them. She literally means now and in the future as well. And these verses are talking about the future that God will act and when he does, he will overturn things And he will change the nature of how things go. Let's read the scriptures starting in verse 51. It says, he has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. When we wait in Advent, we don't just wait for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. We don't just remember the first birth of Christ. We anticipate the second Advent of Jesus. When he will return, not as a baby, but as a conquering king. He will come and 
set things aright. And many of the high and powerful people will be brought low. The people who are low, oftentimes the people of the church, the believing people, have had to, to, to suffer in the world. They've been put aside. They've been put in jail. They've been, they've been murdered. They've been put down in society, not liked, not done business with. But that will change when the king comes. And he will raise up the lowly. And he will put everything back right. So not only does God love Mary in her present right now, her now. He promises to love in the future. He promises to fulfill things he had said long ago. And Mary brings this out in this next couple of verses. It says in 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring, what? Forever. The God of love that we wait with now, that Mary wait, waited before she was potentially even conceived the, the Christ child. She, she waited knowing that that child would be born and that child would save his people from their sins. She didn't know everything, but she knew that God loved her and she waited for what he was doing. She also knew that whether she knew everything or not, God was a God of love in her future. All the way through the history of God's people, the promises that was given to Abraham that one day, through his lineage, there would be a child born that the Old Testament prophets spoke about. This child would be born one of the things that's prophesied to a virgin in humble circumstances. The child will be born and he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the prince of peace, Emmanuel, God with us. And he would save the world. Amen. And here we are in a humble teenager, young woman's life. And she sings out this praise that not only for her, for all of God's people forever, the God of love will love them. The God of love will give mercy to everyone who puts their faith in this son. The God of love will redeem his people and fulfill 
the promises from thousands of years before in this one person, Jesus. So what can we learn? What can we take away from this picture of the love of God? As we wait in Advent, we may be super excited about candlelight service. I hope you are. I love candlelight service. Whatever you do on Christmas Eve, it always involves, as you can tell, good food in our family. Whatever you wait for. Maybe you're waiting for tomorrow because of a celebration. Whatever you're waiting for, we wait in love. Maybe you're in a circumstance that you feel very far away from God. Maybe you don't even understand what this hubbub is about this Jesus person. You're waiting in love. Maybe this holiday season with Advent is, is difficult for you because of a lost loved one or pain or suffering that's happening in your life. You know, our, our title of our series is Christmas is here, a weary world waits. Maybe you feel a little weary today. You wait in love. What can we take away from this beautiful song that this young teenager teaches us? God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you, wherever you are. You might not even have any clue God loves you. You might be the kind of person like many Christians are. They, they say, this intimate, deep relationship with Jesus is for some other Christian. God loves you. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is nothing you can do that, to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. It is a fact that God loves you. He knows everything about you. He loves you. As I was praying about this sermon, weeks ago, I felt like God wanted us to, to know something. And that one fact, he loves you. Not the person sitting next to you. Not that good Christian you know, you. And he wants you to respond in faith. See, Mary did something when she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be as you have said, according to your word. She says, I'm here, and I believe you. You're here. Do you really believe, not just with your head, but with your heart, that God loves you?